From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today. And we are grateful that you have joined us as we head into the weekend. Great show for you. want to remind you that you can find this program and every Washington Watch program on demand at TonyPerkins.com. Today on the program, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had some strong words for Disney. What did he have to say? In addition, is the Russian invasion of Ukraine showing us that gender roles are fashionable again? We'll discuss that question in the program. And at the end of the show, the Guatemalan president has declared them to be the pro-life capital of Ibero-America, and dozens of American pro-life leaders are in Guatemala to support the plan. David Clausen will join us from Guatemala to tell us what's happening there and what it means for us in the United States. But first, the headlines today. Earlier this morning, President Biden announced that the United States will join the G7 and the European Union in calling for the revocation of Russia's most favored nation status, which would result in the suspension of normal trade relations with Russia. Revoking PNTR for Russia is going to make it harder for Russia to do business with the United States and doing it in unison with other nations to make up half of the global economy will be another crushing blow to the Russian economy. It's already suffering very badly from our sanctions. Joining me now to talk about the latest response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine from the White House and from Congress is U.S. Representative Michael Guest, who is a member of the House Committee on Homeland Security, the Committee on Ethics, and the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Mississippi. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph, thank you for having me on this afternoon. Well, it's great to have you. What's your reaction to President Biden's announcements this morning? You know, I, I think the president is doing uh, what really all Americans want, which is to continue to increase economic sanctions uh, on Russia. Uh, we saw that those uh, sanctions started off uh, at a very low level. Uh, but as we have seen things escalate in Ukraine, we have seen that the sanctions put in place not only by America, uh, but our allies continue to put an economic strain uh, on President Putin, on Russia. And our hope and our prayers that these sanctions uh, will be enough for President Putin to pull his troops back and for, the, for us to once again see peace on the European continent. A congressman, a lot of people would see this invasion of Russia as a essentially a capital offense immediately. But clearly, we have taken the position that we're going to roll these sanctions out. It seems we didn't we didn't do everything we could on day one that every few days the Biden administration announces more sanctions, more measures to deter Russia from what they're doing. Why is that? Why didn't we do everything at once? You know, I, I disagree with the, the handling of the sanctions by the administration. I think that we should have implemented sanctions sooner. We should have implemented sanctions throughout the course of the buildup. 
Uh, and then once the, 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 the Russians crossed into Ukrainian territory, uh, I think we should have seen maximum pressure exerted by the sanctions. That was not the course of this administration. This administration instead chose to, to take a path in which sanctions would gradually increase. Uh, but I think we are to a point now to where there are very few sanctions left that we can impose uh, upon President Putin, that we can impose upon Russia, uh, and that we are seeing that the sanctions are beginning to impact the Russian well, we certainly hope it is going to have an impact, not necessarily on the Russian people, though it certainly will, but primarily on Putin. But yesterday, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell suggested that throughout this situation, the Biden administration has effectively been leading from behind. Here's what he said. Let's play clip five. It repeatedly seems like the administration's first instinct is to flinch, to flinch. Wait for international and public pressure to overwhelm them and then take action only after the most opportune moment has literally passed us by. What's your reaction to that? You know, I, I, I agree completely with the leader that, that we had opportunities very early on to be very aggressive against Russia. This administration chose uh, to be very cautious. They chose to negotiate with Russia when we knew uh, that those negotiations were not going to produce anything tangible. Uh, we chose not to uh, institute any sanctions prior to Russia rolling troops into the Ukraine, even though it became clear to the intelligence community and to the public at large that this is what uh, President Putin intended to do. So I do agree that we have been playing catch up and many of the sanctions that we have imposed are only because we have seen President Zelensky appeal to the American public, appeal to members of Congress in the White House. And, and so we are uh, acting very retroactive. We're not being proactive. We're being reactive in the course of our sanctions. And so I do uh, agree with the leader uh, based upon the, comment, uh, the, the comments that he's made. Now, you have also been involved. I want to switch gears for a moment to the Iran nuclear deal and its effect on Israel. You've recently met with Israeli leaders. You've heard their concerns about that deal uh, that the Biden administration has been negotiating for most of the year. What have they expressed to you their concerns are? Well, I tell you, it was a bad deal when America really initially negotiated that deal under President Obama, and it's really gotten worse now. When we were in Israel, every leader that we spoke to, from the current prime minister to the former prime minister to the foreign minister to members of their parliament, every member of their government expressed grave concerns about the possibility of Iran obtaining a nuclear weapon uh, to the point that they said that their country would be prepared to act unilaterally to make sure that that did not happen. And so if we are going to continue to stand with our closest ally in the Middle East, if we're going to stand with the nation of Israel, uh, I believe that we should immediately pull out of the negotiations and continue the pressure of maximum sanctions on Iran in hopes that those sanctions uh, will prevent them from ever being able to obtain a nuclear device. Now, you expressed your interest in pulling out of those negotiations, but there seems to be this sense that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is essentially forcing us out of those negotiations. What impact is this having? You know, I think it is uh, putting pressure on the administration. Uh, but what we've seen is we've seen that the Russians have now gotten involved in those negotiations, and the Russians are trying to use our negotiations with Iran to help prop up their economy, to make sure, uh, because the Russians feel that if we are uh, 
able to reach an agreement. And if, if Iran is able to then legally pump oil into the free market, uh, that is going to further impact the sanctions that we're seeing in Russia. Uh, and so there, there is that ongoing dynamic in the fact that the Russians are involved in these negotiations. And I believe that the best thing we can do is we can walk away from the table. If, if we're talking about energy independence, we need to be energy independent at home. We don't need to be dependent upon Iran, upon Russia, upon other nations of the Middle East, and upon Venezuela to meet our energy needs. Energy security is national security, and we must be able to meet those needs at home. Would the Iran nuclear deal mean that we are purchasing energy from Iran? It would open up their ability to sell oil on the free market. And so uh, it would ultimately lead to uh, us being able to purchase, not only us, but Europe, nations around this world, being able to purchase uh, our energy from Iran. And so we would be sending money to Iran to prop up uh, what is really nothing more than a dictatorship. Uh, we will be sending money to a nation that refers to America as the great Satan, where they march in the streets saying death to America. You know, these are not the nations that we want to be able and the nations that we have to do business with. So uh, I think it would be a grave error for uh, America to continue with the negotiations. Uh, and I think it would be very unwise for us to purchase Iranian oil on the free market if they're once again able to turn the spigots on. We're talking to Representative Michael Guest from Mississippi and Congressman, wouldn't it be um, duplicitous of us to be putting sanctions on Russia because we don't want to fund their war effort on Ukraine, but at the same time buying energy from the Iranian government? You know, the, the energy policy of this administration really makes no sense. Instead of us being an energy independent nation, which we were under the former president, uh, what this administration wants to do is we want to allow nations such as Iran, Venezuela, Russia, nations from the Middle East, really to, to hold us hostage. We have the ability through uh, the oil and the natural gas that, that is here in our country to be able to not only be energy independent, but to be a net exporter of energy. We need to drill American oil. We need to refine American oil. We need to buy American oil. But what this administration has done because they have capitulated to the progressive left of the party. They have held us hostage to many of our nations, or many of the nations internationally that hate America to meet our energy needs. Do you think the American public is beginning to figure this out, that they're being forced to choose between buying energy from Texas or from Iran and Russia? You know, I, I think that this message is finally beginning to resonate with the American public. We have seen gas prices uh, in, begin to increase the, the very day that Joe Biden took office when he canceled the XL pipeline, uh, when he refused to open up drilling on federal lands, when they have held many of our pending pipeline requests outside of XL. Uh, hostage and, and the prices have gradually gone up. And now that we've seen this international crisis, uh, I think Americans are paying attention and Americans now understand that there is a national security interest in us being energy in, independent. 
And so I, I believe that the American public is going to call upon this administration, uh, call upon the Democrats that control the House and the Senate uh, to once again allow us to produce that energy domestically. Let's create American jobs. Let's make sure that we're keeping that money here at home, that we're putting food on the table, the American workers, and we're not putting money into the pocketbook of President Vladimir Putin from uh, the, 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 the leaders in Iran, the leaders of Venezuela. We don't want to fund those nations that are anti-American and that hate our country. Congressman, I think the case for anything else is becoming weaker by the day. But one other topic I want to cover with you is the omnibus bill that was just passed yesterday by the Senate, uh, 68 to 31, a one and a half trillion dollar omnibus spending bill will fund the government. It will send aid to Ukraine, but does a whole bunch of other things as well. What are your thoughts on this bill? You know, I, I supported the military component of the bill in the House. Uh, the bill was broken into two parts. Uh, there was a part that dealt with military spending, uh, spending to uh, secure our border aid to Ukraine. Uh, and that was a portion of the bill that myself and many Republicans supported. I did not and I do not support the domestic spending. Uh, there was a huge increase on the domestic spending side. Uh, and we are spending money that we do not have. Uh, we have a record high national debt. We have passed spending bill after spending bill, rescue plans, other things. And because of the spending that we have occurred in Washington, D.C., we see that an inflation is at a 40-year high. Uh, and so I did not support this bill. I think that this is a bad bill as it relates to the domestic spending. Uh, and, I, and, and I believe that we should have done better. We should have held the line. We should have asked for a bill uh, that includes less spending so that we are making sure that we are not going to do things which are going to aggravate the inflation that we're seeing across the country. Something else that's concerning about this bill is that it adds 4,000 new earmarks, which there had kind of been a hiatus in Congress, but we're back to congressional earmarks. Is another, in about 30 seconds, is another one and a half trillion dollar government spending going to have an impact on inflation? You know, I, I believe that it will. And, and you can't just take this bill in a vacuum. You have to look at this bill versus the other spending. So this is not all the spending that Congress has passed this year. Uh, and we were very fortunate uh, that in the Senate that they were able to prevent the passing of the Build Back Better, which would have been a two to four trillion dollar bill. And so we must get spending under control. That is one thing I will tell you uh, that as members of Congress, we one of the, the, the looming issues that we have to deal with at some point is the growing national debt. And the way to address that is not to increase spending in Washington, D.C. Congressman Guest, we are out of time. It's a hard break. Thanks so much for being with us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, Governor DeSantis takes on big business. We'll talk about it. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. 
With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. The state of Florida has taken a lot of heat from the left for its support of a parental rights bill that prohibits conversations about gender identity and sexuality in kindergarten through third grade classrooms. Much of that opposition has come from corporate America, including Disney, which of course is in Florida. Yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made clear he has no intention of giving in to the pressure. The chance that I am going to back down from my commitment to students and back down from my commitment to parents' rights simply because of fraudulent media narratives or pressure from woke corporations, the chances of that are zero. Is corporate America losing its influence over politicians? Joining me now to talk about it is John Stenberger, president of the Florida Family Policy Council. John, welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph, great to be with you. So good to see you. You have been in Florida through uh, this political hurricane. Very quickly, what's been your out your take on the outrage over this bill? You know, I, I am so proud of our legislative leadership and our governor. I've been laboring in the state for 30 years. And I've never seen more courage and more conviction coming from the House, Senate, and the governor's office. Um, you know, the pendulum is swinging so far, Joe, to the left. It's just becoming ridiculous. And I'm thrilled that Governor DeSantis uh, is a man with a chest who's willing to push back and say, enough, we're not going to allow woke corporations to push around Florida and to push around our public policy. I don't know if you saw this, but what's interesting is that Disney 
even though they had, they ran TV ads actually encouraging people to call Disney and telling them to oppose the don't say gay bill, which is just a parent's rights bill, inform parents what's going on in schools. Um, and as a result of the, the big brouhaha, uh, the governor met with Disney, nothing happened. And Disney actually didn't say that they would oppose the bill because it was so reasonable. They actually said they were just going to donate $5 million to gay rights organizations. They did that. And HRC turned down a $5 million gift. This is just reported today in Florida politics. So that's really stunning. It is a strange development. Uh, you're, we won't take your money until you repent, which is a strange posture. Um, but maybe it'll work for them. Who knows? Um, but it sounds like, is this a new development in the state of Florida? I feel like it's new in politics in general for for politicians to just tell big corporations, I don't care what you think, we're going to do the right thing. Is this new in Florida? Well, it's not new for Governor DeSantis. He's been doing this since day one. He did this with the collegial sports groups that said, if you pass the women's sports bill, we're not going to come to Florida. And he said, so be it. I'm going to hear, I'm going to protect women and protect young ladies and make it fair. So it's certainly uh, not new for Governor DeSantis, but I'm, I'm thrilled that he's taking a lead along with other governors around the state and pushing back on these woke corporations, uh, thinking they're just going to bully the masses and bully an entire legislative body. We've seen this across a range of legislative issues, how it's been very effective when corporate America comes and threatens political leadership in a state. But uh, yesterday, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy told Breitbart that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce left the Republican Party a long time ago. He's basically, we don't care what they're doing. Have Republican politicians decided that taking on big business is now good politics for them? Well, I think when biz, big, big business goes crazy, right, and we're just trying to protect children, if we can't protect children in a civilized society, it's over. And so that's kind of a baseline for whether we're going to be bar, barbaric people, yeah. right, and just let the left run out, run roughshod and indoctrinate our kids. The problem is the schools are involved with indoctrination and not education. And that's why the bill was passed um, and why the governor will end up signing. Uh, the so-called don't say gay bill, which was really a don't turn my son into a daughter bill, just trying to allow parents to have some say so when their kids are trying to be indoctrinated. And I think you allude there to the the competition that is happening because this is called parental rights by one side, by its proponents. It's called don't say gay. And possibly we're seeing that the public is beginning to see through these fake headlines that are created. And Governor DeSantis, in the same, part of the same comments we, we heard at the, at the opening of this segment, he accused companies like Disney of hypocrisy when it comes to China. Here's what he said. Go ahead and play clip seven. You have companies like a Disney that are going to say and criticize parents' rights. They're going to criticize the fact uh, that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten and first grade classrooms. If that's the hill that they're going to die on, then how do they possibly explain lining their pockets with their relationship from the Communist Party of China? They basically said they're being hypocrites. Do you think that the reason politicians feel free to ignore corporate America now is because the public is essentially seeing through this? Well, I think that's right. People are becoming smart. The media is undermining its credibility right and left. Um, you know, the, the trust in media is at an all-time low. I think CNN's uh, viewership is at an all-time low now. 
as an example. So they're just imploding. The left is cannibalizing itself. We're seeing this with the HRC donation, with the media. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate, but it's actually a good thing because they need to, uh, they need to reap what they've been sowing, which is confusion and hypocrisy and lies. What do you think on, on our social issues in general, moving forward, what does it mean for cultural issues if the Republican Party of conservatives have been freed of this entanglement and are free to essentially tell corporate America to go pound sand because we don't need you anymore? What does that mean for state politics, for national politics? Well, I think that if you remember, uh, the, the famous Democratic consultant in the, in the Clinton years said it's the economy stupid. I think we're seeing now from Loudoun County and Virginia's election and for some of the other uh, school board elections, it's the social issue stupid. It's parents' rights stupid, right? So people are getting a clue that this is really, we're coming back to the foundation. These are all good developments. Um, we're coming back to first principles. And the left is just reeling because they're the ones that are forcing this radical social change upon our children. Uh, and we're just saying enough is enough. Parents are waking up. The mushy middle is waking up. People that are just normally listening to Howard Stern and don't really care are waking up and they're saying enough of this and they're pushing back. And that is money from a political standpoint when it comes to elections. I think that's exactly right. And I think people are being getting to understand when they're being gaslit and they see labels like don't say gay. It's preposterous on its face. The public is seeing through it and it's not effective anymore. John Stenberger, thanks so much for your time. Great. Thank you, Joseph. Coming up is the war in Ukraine shaping how we feel about masculinity and femininity. We'll talk about it when we come back. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm 
to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. Quick reminder, the website, as always, is TonyPerkins.com. The chilling images of families fleeing from the war in Ukraine as Russian bombs assault the region have illustrated the bravery and fortitude of the Ukrainian people. We've seen Ukrainian men take up arms to fight with courage and tenacity. We've also witnessed the bravery of Ukrainian women as they do whatever it takes to protect their children. After so much discussion about masculinity, femininity, and what it means to be equal, does the instinctive and brave response to this war have something to teach us about the created order? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Allison Centafonte, founder of Centafonte Strategies. Allison, welcome back to the program. Sorry Thanks for so watching that. Good All to see you. It happened. Well, you've been you've been observing this as we all have been. Do you think there's a conflict between what we in the United States have been saying about men and women and what we have come to admire in the Ukrainian people during this invasion? Well, Joseph, it's been powerful. Let's just say this. It's been powerful to see the world, our nation particularly, applaud men and women doing what they were uniquely created to do. Men protecting and women protecting their families. I mean, we right now have this beautiful image of men stepping up and protecting their country from invasion. We have women taking their children on hours-long rides to get out of Ukraine, to get to safety. Both are incredibly hard decisions. Um, And I've just been struck that those on the left who claim to believe in gender fluidity, that gender can be whatever it wants, are the same people saying these women are so strong, these women are so brave, and look how hot and masculine these men are who are defending their country. And so I think it's good to pause and just take a moment and acknowledge that there is beauty and order and reason to the way that God created the world. There's a reason Ukraine is saying that men over 18 have to stay and fight and that the women are able to leave. Women and children are able to leave because women are uniquely created to nurture families. And that is how they are protecting their family. Men are uniquely created to be the stronger of the species. And that's how they are protecting their family is by taking up arms. We would be outraged, right? If they said women and children have to stay and men can leave. That well, would really on, on that point, it, it's interesting that the United States Congress was just a breadth away from requiring women to register for the draft this right. year. And I can't help but wonder if these developments of watching a war happen mm-hmm. will change the way we think about this. And to that point, feminism, broadly speaking, this idea that women can and should be able to do everything that men do, is that less appealing in a time of war? Um, yeah, well, I'm doing something that you can't do. Joseph, which is bringing life into the world. We are uniquely created. While we are equal in our worth, you and I, men and women, we are different in our capabilities. We are different in our makeup. And yes, I think this is highlighting for, I hope, our country and particularly young people, 
that difference. And so we are praying for these women. We are praying for these men. We are praying for, you know, peace and an end to the conflict. Um, but we in the United States are currently battling, just like you said, not only the draft issue, but we're battling uh, one party here, usually the left mainly, fighting for gender fluidity, fighting against protecting girls in private spaces. Um, we even just had, you know, this so recently, some of these male swimmers just annihilating, male athletes are annihilating our young girls in sports. And so we need to speak up. We need to, as believers, particularly, I think, as moms and dads say, look, while we are all of equal worth, we are equal, we are differently abled. And so there, there's a reason we have Title IX. There's a reason women had to fight so long, Joseph, to be able to have their own sports yeah. and their own things. So we want to protect that. That's what we're conserving. Um, so hopefully this will be something that can draw us to, to remember that there's a reason these girls are not beating these boys in the, in the pool, right? Is we're differently yes. bodied. God created us different and we need to protect uh, what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man. We've often heard it said that there are no atheists in foxholes. You think it's mm-hmm. possible that it's now also true. There are no feminists in foxholes. Um, no, actually a lot of these women are saying that they want to get their, if they could, they would get their children to safety and go back and fight, which I think is kind of awesome. Um, I think I'd be with them. I'd be like, babe, I'll be right back. Um, I'm, I, I just think there's something that draws people together in a time of conflict and challenge. We're seeing that in our own country, right? Family is what matters throughout this whole past couple of years of, of strife and turmoil and making a lot of hard decisions. Family is what matters. And so we're seeing that here. I think, you know, it draws us to understanding how God created us, both male and female, but also to fight for something bigger, to be a part of something larger. Part of that is the family and then ultimately, hopefully, fighting for the kingdom of God. But we must fight for our families. And I'm really glad they're doing that overseas and giving us a great example. Allison Santafonte, we have about 30 seconds. Do you think we'll learn this lesson? Are we going to forget as soon as war is over? Well, if I have anything to do with it, and my friends who are in D.C., and and we're, I, I don't think we're going to forget. You and so many others, Family Research Council, so many nonprofits are working to ensure that our children, this little girl grows up in a world where it's okay to be a girl. She's protected as a female, and we define what that is. That's exactly right. And congratulations to you as well. And thank you so much for your time. As always, greatly appreciate you. Thanks, Joseph. Coming up after the break, an update from the pro-life movement in Guatemala. We'll hear from the ground when we come back. Stay with us. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. 
Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side -side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. Coming up, our conversation with Allison Santafonte about Ukraine and Russia and what it's teaching us about gender roles. I want to highlight for you a new article published on the FRC blog, frcblog.com by Ariel Del Turco. It's called Real Men Don't Bomb Women and Children. They Protect Them. Making some of the similar points, you can again find that article at frcblog.com. Encourage you to check that out. Now, this week is a big week in Central America. On Wednesday, Guatemala, Guatemala was declared the pro life capital of Ibero America during a special event in which the government of the country also instituted the Day of, for Life and Family and inaugurated a monument in what from now on will be called the Patio of Life, the famous National Palace of Culture. And pro-life leaders from the United States are there to support the efforts and plan for the future. And one of those on the ground is our own David Clausen, the director of FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview, who joins me now from Guatemala to tell us all about it. David, good to see you. Hey, great to see you as well, Joseph. Now tell us what's been happening. Why did you go to Guatemala this week and uh, what can you report? Yeah, it's been a really exciting time here in Guatemala City, uh, the capital of Guatemala. Uh, so on Wednesday, the president, uh, Alejandro Jumati, 
had a huge uh, ceremony, a big event at the National Palace, uh, where he officially declared uh, March 9th the uh, day for life and family. Uh, he had a, a big ceremony there. They unveiled a statue uh, that declared Guatemala uh, the pro-life capital of Ibro America, uh, which is just the, the central the Spanish-speaking world. And so it's just really, really encouraging to be here in uh, parallel with the official festivities at the palace uh, the uh, Ibero-Americo Congress for Life and Family held their sixth annual meeting, uh, which is just a really neat uh, uh, gathering uh, that happens every year of Spanish-speaking leaders from across the regions coming together to collaborate, to strategize on the pro-life issue. Uh, just a couple of moments ago, Joseph, I heard from a former presidential candidate, I think from Costa Rica. We heard from the foreign minister earlier today from Guatemala. Uh, the president came and addressed the assembly uh, yesterday morning, uh, the day after the big event at his palace. And so it's just really, really exciting uh, to see the pro-life, the international pro-life movement uh, really gaining momentum and speed in this part of the country. Now, those of us who are in the United States are certainly aware of the debates around abortion and related life issues here. Uh, we certainly know that abortion is going to be an issue in other parts of the world, but we're not really familiar with them because most of us don't track them closely. Based on what you have experienced and watched and heard this week, how similar or different are the conversations happening in Central America and South America compared to what we're experiencing in the United States? Right. So I think what's so important, Joseph, what happened here in Guatemala is the context. And the context over the last 18 months kind of in this part of the world has actually been a liberalization of abortion laws. Uh, so just uh, about a month ago, actually, the nation of Colombia uh, uh, liberalized their abortion laws. Uh, Mexico, last year, their Supreme Court struck down pro-life laws in two states, effectively paving the way uh, for abortion on demand. Uh, Argentina last year, uh, despite their most famous citizen, Pope Francis, urging them uh, not to liberalize their abortion laws, they went ahead and did that last year. And so the, the context of the trends so far uh, in the last two years or so have been seeing abortion laws being liberalized. And that's why what happened just a couple of days ago here in Guatemala was a very big deal. Uh, the president, and it wasn't just the president, uh, the entire Congress was behind this too. We heard from the president of the Congress, uh, who also wanted a monument uh, recognizing families and life uh, unveiled at their Capitol building. So I th we did that earlier this morning. So there's actually two monuments here in Guatemala, Guatemala City, uh, recognizing the importance of life and family. And so it's just really exciting to see and to hear the president, Joseph, he, he, he made it very clear uh, that there, he's under pressure uh, from uh, the Western world and from people in the United States uh, to to liberalize abortion laws. And he said, I'm not going to do it, uh, even though the foreign aid and foreign assistance often comes with strings attached. He said the people of Guatemala are a religious people. Part of their heritage and culture is respecting life, respecting family, and that he was not going to be bullied uh, by this cultural imperialism uh, coming out of Western countries. So it's just incredibly encouraging uh, to see the courage and the boldness uh, from the president, but from his whole cabinet and from congressional leaders as well. 
I want to get into, in a moment, some of that bullying you refer to and how the West is trying, and specifically the United States, is trying to influence other countries. But you talk about the trends there, about how there are several Central and South American countries who are moving in the wrong direction on the life issue. And we know that Central and South America are largely Catholic. That's been their religious heritage, the majority of it at least. What are we to make of the trends to being more open, more accepting of abortion? Is that signaling a uh, a loss of religious influence, a loss of influence of the Catholic Church in that part of the world, despite the fact that, for example, in Argentina, uh, that is the home of the Pope? So one of the things, you know, Joseph, you and I have talked about is the, the lack of the decreasing biblical worldview in the United States. 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview, and it's only about 6%. And the church, 81% think they have a biblical worldview. It's only 21%. Uh, the leaders that I've talked to uh, just in the last couple of days from Ecuador and Peru and uh, Bolivia and Brazil, they've told me they're seeing the same thing, uh, that uh, there is a growing secularism, there's a growing syncretism, and that the uh, the churches uh, in this area are, are, are on the, the decline as far as their influence goes. And so I actually had an opportunity to address uh, some of these international delegates and talk to them about biblical worldview. And uh, there was a lot of resonance, Joseph. So it's really interesting to see what we're seeing in the United States, they're seeing uh, in their countries as well. And so that was one of the uh, exciting things that I was able to do down here is to engage and collaborate with some of these leaders. And how do we go back to our countries and address pastors? How do we encourage pastors to speak to these issues? Because pastors in these Latin and Central American countries, um, are, they're also increasingly nervous to touch some of these issues for they don't want to be perceived as too political and whatnot. And so one of the things that we really were with all these leaders from around the region is how do we go back and encourage our pastors uh, not to be political, uh, just to be biblical, to be faithful to God's word. And I think that was a key takeaway that I have from my time here in Guatemala. Tom Friedman, many years back, wrote a book called The Earth is Flat, about the flattening of the world's economy and how everyone has become, and we've seen this uh, in many ways in recent years with China and, and now with Russia, the way that the Earth's economies are connected. But do you think it's also true that as our economies and our markets have become connected and in many ways interdependent, that our values are also beginning to become shared as well as the West's influence economically extends beyond economics uh, and, and starting to affect uh, worldview and politics and the way that we just see ourselves? No, I agree with Joseph. I think the word I used earlier, kind of this cultural imperialism, uh, that the, the, the values that are exported around the world from the United States have a, a serious impact and they do carry influence. Uh, I spoke, uh, and especially on the aid and the foreign assistance, uh, two nights ago, I was, uh, having a conversation with a pro-life activist in Ecuador. And she said her government was under a lot of pressure from the United States uh, when it came to COVID-19 relief. Uh, you know, the United States has provided some assistance uh, to countries around the world uh, to battle the pandemic. And kind of under the table, uh, kind of that backroom talk was, you know, really, we would really like it if you guys would uh, liberalize your abortion laws. And so that that's really the reality that, you know, we, we every election time in the United States, we say elections have consequences. One of those consequences is that under the Biden administration, they have 
really been pushing uh, abortion overseas. We know that one of the first things President Biden did was repeal the Mexico City policy that prevented uh, funding going towards the promotion of abortion overseas. And so that kind of pressure um, is definitely being felt uh, in this area of the world. And I think it's just important for us as Americans to realize uh, that our elections do have consequences uh, beyond just what happens within the boundaries of our own country. Uh, unsurprisingly, I don't think we will hear much outrage about the United States threatening to withhold COVID aid unless abortion policies are changed. Uh, but in a recent administration, threatening to withhold aid for any reason uh, was problematic. But there's something interesting about this, because at the same time that you are highlighting the drift left by many South American and Central American countries on the issue of abortion, the United States is actually moving in the opposite direction. We are seeing a record number of pro-life laws at the state level. We think uh, 2022 is going to be the year in which the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. So we're going to be moving away from the radical abortion policies that have dominated the United States uh, since Roe versus Wade was decided. What are we to make of this, that Central America is moving left while we are moving back at least toward the middle? And and that certainly is the hope. And uh, what's really neat about these last couple of days, Joseph, is that about 75 Americans representing about 35 to 40 organizations, including Family Research Council, uh, came to be a part of these festivities. But to have these uh, meetings to strategize and collaborate uh, with these uh, Central and South American uh, leaders. And what's really uh, encouraging is to see even the delegates from countries that have liberalized their laws, uh, they're looking to the United States with excitement, uh, hoping that this Dobbs case uh, will indeed uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. And so I, I, you know, it's what I actually had a, a, a unplanned opportunity to speak briefly to the Guatemalan president myself after the unveiling of the statue. And I just thanked him for his courage. I told him that he was setting uh, an example to the rest of the world uh, on this issue of life. And other folks, uh, Joseph, who I've talked to, they are looking to the United States, hoping that we once again will be a, a moral leader on the life issue. And hopefully that day is coming. Uh, they, they're grateful for uh, the Americans who came down here to encourage them and support them. But they are hoping that America can once again be a, a moral leader on this issue. Uh, but just really grateful to see Guatemala take this stand. And, our, and the hope uh, from all the delegates that are gathered around here is that Guatemala uh, can hopefully, they're declaring themselves the pro-life capital of Ibero-America, uh, can have a ripple effect in this region. Ronald Reagan referred to us as a shining city on the hill. And I think for Americans who don't often travel overseas or who haven't spent time overseas, we can um, be unaware of the significance of how just how significant what the United States does is around the world for good or for evil. And, and that's just what leadership is. When you are in leadership, what you do affects other people. And that's part of the reason why it's so important for the American church to not be silent, to not be apathetic, because it isn't just about what happens here. What we do here sends signals to the rest of the globe about what's appropriate, what's right, what's the best thing to do. And we have a real stewardship opportunity and responsibility for that authority. Now, you've also talked about, we mentioned the fact that the that Guatemala became the 36th 
country to sign the Geneva Declaration, which is relatively new. Tell us about that and why that's such an important statement. Yeah, the Geneva Consensus Declaration was really spearheaded by Valerie Huber uh, when she was at the uh, Department of Health and Human Services under the Trump administration. And the Geneva Declaration, it's only two pages, and it just simply states that there is no international right to an abortion and that abortion should never be seen as a method of family planning. Uh, so now 36 countries have signed this declaration. Guatemala signed it uh, in October, uh, so just a couple of months ago, which is really exciting. You know, the, the festivities and the ceremonies that we've had in the last couple of days have been really fun. Uh, but it's not just a show. It's not just rhetoric. Uh, Guatemala is really wanting uh, to send a signal to the world. That's why they signed the Geneva Declaration. It's worth pointing out, unfortunately, that within the first week or two of the Biden administration, uh, that uh, Biden withdrew the United States from this declaration. But it's still going forward. Other nations are still signing on. Uh, because that's, that's briefly, Joseph, an important point to make, that the leaders down here have told us they, they don't want to be bullied. Uh, they don't want to be told blacklisted or blackmailed. And so that there's strength in numbers. And so that's why uh, other countries are still being encouraged to join this declaration uh, to really build a coalition uh, for life and for family uh, that opposes abortion, that opposes the liberalization of marriage laws around the world. And so there's 36 nations and Guatemala is the most recent. Uh, and Lord willing, Joseph, one day the United States could uh, sign that document again uh, to, to be that shining city on a hill uh, that you mentioned Reagan once talked about. And we expect that we will. And David, also, uh, just to promote your stuff, a lot of it has been translated into Spanish. One of the reasons that you're there is because the FRC resources, including the Center for Biblical Worldview, are serving the Latin American and South American world. Uh, how can people find those? Yeah, just really privileged that there's been an opportunity to distribute a couple thousand copies of our booklets, helping people think biblically about life and marriage and sexuality. Uh, they're in English and Spanish. FRC.org slash worldview is the place anyone can go uh, to access these documents, give them to a pastor, give them to a, a leader in your community. And let's think biblically about all these issues uh, that the Bible addresses. FRC.org slash worldview. David Clausen, so glad that you're there. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, we thank you for joining us today. We will see you on Monday on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.